Hello, and welcome to the High Street Community Church Podcast. We're so excited you're learning alongside us, and we pray this message leads you closer to the Lord and others. High Street Community Church is simply a family of friends following Jesus. God bless you as you listen. sermon you just sang it which is wonderful because we need to hear these things over and over in different ways and let our heart be affected and um, repetition comes to mind Um, songs do that really well and as we're going through the book of first john over and over there's themes that are just repeated and repeated Probably because we forget them, probably because we don't believe them always, and we just need to hear them again and again. I'm reminded, um, speaking of songs, uh, kind of a goofy song, but um, you ever hear that song about the Blue Jay? It's kind of a camp song. Away down yonder, not so very far off, a Blue Jay died of the whooping cough. Nobody knows that? Well, he hooped so hard of the hooping cough that he hooped his head and his tail right off. Yeah. Same song, second verse, a little bit louder, a little bit worse. And they get the kids worked up in a frenzy and they sing the song over and over and it gets louder and louder and worse and worse. There's no point to the song. But repetition, and you learn this song, and it's just really fun to sing at camp. But speaking of camp songs, I'm taking another risk. I don't know if you know this song. I know Maria knows it because she was singing it. I've been singing it all week. Beloved, let us love one another. First John 4, 7 and 8, first two verses of the passage this morning. Good job. I was hoping you knew it because I'm kind of sketchy unless I just read it. I had a camp counselor, you know, like seventh grade or something. We were singing this song and he's like, this is the whole thing. Learn this song. We're singing this song. It's not like you know, the easiest song to sing, but you memorize it. I mean, you guys have memorized it. And he's like, this is the whole deal. If you get this song, you got it. And I never forgot that, and I've not forgotten that song. It just rings. It's been in my head all week, almost like I can't get rid of it. I'm like, First John 4, 7. I'm okay, I'll get to it. Sunday, I'm going to read it. The first word, beloved. And that's who we are. That's who you are. And this, this teaching we're going through, this scripture this morning, is written to those of us who say, We've uh, trusted Jesus with our lives. We're following Jesus. So listen up. This is what we need to hear. Beloved, and the next phrase, let us love one another. Three things we're going to go over today. Number one, we're going to talk about, um, and you've already experienced, but we want to understand and know God's love for us. Easy thing to say. Want to make sure we grasp it. Then there's our response. So God's love, our response. And then interestingly, we talk about fear as the third point. Where is the place of fear in all this? I want to pray for us again, and then we're just going to dive right into the scripture. We already have by singing that song. 
Let's pray. God, I confess, um, I look at this scripture and I know it, read it. It's so simple. It's, most of it's already been in this book of 1 John. We've preached through it already. But somehow, this message gets lost in my life and our lives. It gets forgotten. It gets dismissed. It even gets denied, devalued, untried. I confess and admit that, and, but that doesn't end there. We get to, with our confessions, with our requests, come to you and say something as simple as, Lord, this morning would you teach us, remind us, may we try your love, experience your love. Would you affect our hearts, open our minds, and bring this into our everyday experience? That's our request. Amen. So uh, in your bulletin, there's sermon notes. I'd love for you to follow along those with me. In your pew Bibles, page 1,304, left side, top of the column. And um, I got to confess this. There is so much in this passage, I'm just not going to get to it all. We could go through this chunk of scripture. It's basically the second half of chapter four. I don't know, four or five, ten weeks so I'm going to pull out three, four kind of key verses and focus on those pieces. Um, I would encourage you to read, read this um, even more. I'm either, there's even pieces I'm like, I'm not going to read it because it will, I'll be tempted to keep talking about those pieces, maybe to the neglect of the things that we're going to look at today. The first part, if you, if you look in your notes, is that love is the essence of God. Love is the essence of God. God is love. It says it twice in this portion of Scripture. God is love. And if, if you have a mind that can handle that, sit it, go ahead and dwell on that. My mind, just I cannot wrap myself around that. We'll try. God is love. Um, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God, um, anyone who does not love does not know God, because, punchline, God is love. I found a, um, uh, someone, a, an old professor of mine who I've mentioned many times, uh, Neil Anderson, he wrote a few paragraphs on this, and I thought, that succinctly says, using a lot of scripture, what we need to understand here. He writes, for many people, loving others is a nebulous concept. <laughs> Fortunately, agape love... And there's different kinds of love, phileo love, um, eros love, that, that we use just for one word, love. And, and eros love is kind of like, think of it this way, that's care, or that comes to me. Phileo is kind of more of a mutual care. And then agape love is a love that goes outward. It's sacrificial in nature, and it's caring for others. So that agape love, really I'd say it's God love, is very clearly defined in Scripture. When love is used as a noun... And that's where we're talking about God is love in Scripture. It's referring to character. For example, God is love, 1 John 4, 8. Love is patient, love is kind in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8. Love is the highest of character attainments. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith, 1 Timothy 1, 5. Love is the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22. The means by which a true disciple of Christ is identified... John 13, 35 is love. The attention 
given to love in passages such as 1 Corinthians 13 and today's passage, 1 John 4, reveals its importance to God in our interpersonal relationships, of which family is primary. Now get this. Agape love, this sacrificial love, is not dependent on the person being loved, but it's dependent on the lover. You may like someone because of who he is, but, if, but you love him because of who you are. Think about that. God loves us not because we're lovable, but because God is love. If it were any other way, God's love would be conditional. If you perform better, would God love you more? Of course not. God's love is not based on our performance, but it's based on his character. If you can grasp that, that really changes everything. It's not about me, it's about him. Love is also used as a verb in Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Used this way, love is grace in action. It's giving unconditionally to meet the needs of another. If you say you don't love someone, you've said more about yourself than about that person. Specifically, you're saying that you haven't attained the maturity to love, um, love him unconditionally, which is in Luke 6.32. The grace of God enables you to love others in a way that people without Christ cannot. God doesn't command you to like your family, your neighbors, and your coworkers because you can't order your emotions to respond, but he does instruct you to love them, commands you. You can always choose to do the loving thing and trust that your feelings will follow because of the power of the Spirit. God gives you the fuel to love by who he is and what he does. Love is a noun, love is a verb, but best of all, it gets even better, love is a person. Verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest, shown among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Because God loves us, he gives himself, he gives his son, Jesus Christ, and this word propitiation, that's like, what do they call those, a $5 word? What does that mean? It's a covering through sacrifice. It's taking away an offense. The word atonement is used in a lot of other translations. And ultimately, it repairs our broken relationship with God. Through his death, Michael was praying those things. The songs we were singing those things is that propitiation is Jesus saying, I'm going to do for you what you can't do so you can have a restored relationship with God. And that's love in a person, in action. It's a noun and a verb and a person all rolled up into one. In fact, one of the reasons that we regularly preach through the Gospels, I don't know, once a year or every year and a half or something, I'll go through the Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It's, we learn a ton through doing that, but mostly the importance of the Gospels is that we just have to see Jesus. God is love. And so when you see it as a person, he just wants us to get it. And sometimes the best way to get it is through, through, through a person. I mean, I know I've experienced God's love by being loved by other people, not just studying a theology book, which helps my mind, but when you receive God's love through people or you, you, you receive it just directly from God and you sense it, you get it. Okay, a person. So I'd encourage you, if, you're, if, you're, if or as you wrestle with this and you're like, how can God be loved? Just read the Gospels. Study Jesus. And then that moves us to the second point here, which, as the scripture goes, verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
We have a debt of love. A debt of love. In fact, I look at it as kind of an an if statement. Um, What we do wrong a lot of times in our Christian faith is that we're told, go love people, and you do it out of your own strength, and you'll fail, right? You'll come up short. But I'm convinced, and I've experienced this in my own life, as I understand and receive God's love, I've got leftover. I can give out. I can love people. And so this idea of a debt, like you, when you've received so much from God, that's how you can give out. That's the fuel that will energize you to love other people. So the if, looking at your notes, if, you're, if you get this, that God is love as a noun, God is love as a verb, God is love as a person, if you can get that and receive it, you're like, I get it. You now have a debt, and I mean that in a good way, that you get to, if this, then do this, right? That's that big, and don't do it backwards. Don't love people so that God will love you. That will never work. Or or go ahead, try it. You'll You'll fail. We've all tried it. If this, then this. Another passage on this idea of debt, Paul wrote this in Romans. Owe no one to anything. He's like, don't have any debt, except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, they're all summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. I'm one of those people that likes things simplified. I don't need a bunch of don't do this, don't do this, do this. I mean, they're helpful, but it's like, just do this. Just love God and love your neighbor. In fact, that's going to be our whole fall series because I'm such a simple-minded person. We all are, right? That if we could just get that right, if we could just get it that God loves us and then we, are to, we love him and we love him by loving other people. We're going to really look into what does that look like. And Jesus embodied that and he taught it over and over and over. Faith isn't a bunch of don't, don't, don't. It's do. Love outwardly. Now, the interesting thing about this message as I've worked through it is we get that really basic foundational core theology. God is love. God's abundance overflows on us. We receive this love, and then we pour it out. And then the passage then goes in to talk about fear. What is that? Fear, verses 18 and 19. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So this idea, God knows us as people, is like, okay, I received God's love, and now I want to love other people. Loving other people is scary. Loving other people can be awkward. Loving other people could be rejected. I'm going to really pause and really be strategic who I love, which really means I'm going to make sure I love the people that I know will love me back, right? And Scripture has a lot to say about that. What good are you if you love you know, those who love you? Jesus says, love your enemies. Question, how much fear does a follower of Jesus need in their life? None. I mean, you have, we have this fear, this respect of God, that's a reverence. We, have, we certainly don't want to lose our, our fears of like common sense. Don't jump off of a building kind of thing. Don't stand, you know, walk in front of traffic. That's, that's not the kind of fear we're talking about. We're talking about fearlessly living for God. In Romans, again, one of the I, I say this a lot. This is one of the best passages in the Bible. That's because the Bible's loaded with great passages. There is therefore now 
no condemnation. Not a little bit, none. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We'd probably all agree with that. We'd probably all know that. But a picture of that, we were in our staff meeting this week, and we were um, talking a bit about the woman at the well and how Jesus treated her like a person. And Jesus um, had interactions with her. It, it was a beautiful interaction. He treated her like a person. He told her truth, bad truths about her life. It was one of the ways he loved her, is just to say, I totally know you, and I totally accept you. And you know what she did? She went and lived fearlessly. She went and told the whole town about Jesus. She wasn't scared at all. She lived fearless. And God used her life because of that, because she knew she was totally accepted. And she was. She was totally accepted by Jesus. So let's, get, uh, let's, let's roll up our sleeves and get into this. I really, um, I really want us to understand this. I know God wants us to understand this. So I got a series of questions, some stories, and then a final test for us. Series of questions. Do you know God is love and he loves you? Do you know that? Do you know Jesus is the proof, proof of that love and the provision of that love? Jesus is the proof of that love and the provision of that love. Do you know because of God's love, you get to, keyword, overflow with love towards others? You get to do that. Do you know that because God's love is perfect, we are perfectly free of fear and accepted? Do you know that? Perfectly free. I wrestle with that. Three examples of love came to me this week. Um, either I experienced or I, or I saw this. One of them, we had um, Michael and Betsy are, are leaving, and so we had a staff um, barbecue at our house. It was so much fun. Friday night, everyone came over to our house, brought different things, and we had tacos and and oatmeal cookies, and a whole vat of guacamole. Good job, Michael. Um, tons of great food. It was a great time. And so just that alone was really fun. But then we sat around the table, and Maria, she often at a dinner thing will have a question. And the question was something like, if you could be a person for a week, um, who would you be and why? Anytime in history. And it was, it, was just, it was just really fun. But what happened is this group of people, one, they love God, but they love each other. And we were sharing who I would be for a week. And, you know, we were laughing. But some of them were really pretty intimate and pretty telling. And it was just marvelous to just kind of pause and go like, wow, this is turning into a really holy moment as people were affirming each other and sharing their insides, you know. And then we went even deeper. We went to say, hey, let's take a little time and affirm Michael and Betsy and say, what do we see in them that we love? What do we see of them that God has just really blossomed them as we've gotten to know them? And it was powerful. It was amazing. And I'm studying this passage, and I'm saying, that group right there, there was no fear in there. It was like fearless. And um, people were just being themselves and sharing their hearts. And I said, that's a picture of the church. That's a picture of, and because and here's the reality with Michael and Betsy, and we'll, we'll get to share a little bit when we do a potluck with them. They personify this, right? They are reckless. Go to their, watch them run games with kids. They are fearless. <laughs> And they're fearless in just being themselves and sharing God's love. And they're here in our church, fearlessly leading worship, sharing their hearts, those kinds of things. That's who they are. So it was easy to celebrate them because they're living this kind of love where they know God totally loves them, and then they're overflowing it to those around them. 
Another thing that happened this week is uh, we had a, a deacon's meeting on Thursday night. And part of the deacon's meeting, I had the privilege of confessing one of the biggest mistakes I've made here since I've come to High Street. Awesome. You're not cheering. <laughs> it was humbling. It was difficult. I, was, um, the, I won't tell you the whole story, but we've been working on the bylaws, and I made the mistake of not really get into it with them because I didn't want to be a controlling influence as we worked through the bylaws. And the mistake I made is I didn't kind of shepherd and walk with them on some of the things that a pastor should do as they, as they put in a ton of work, and some of their work is of, we're not going to use it. And so I'm like, hey, sorry for that year's worth of work you put on this document that I wasn't there. And, here's, and, and, and it was sobering. I mean, I felt really bad, but more like just the looks in their faces are like, are you kidding me? It was a bummer. I make mistakes, as if I need to tell you that. But this was a big one. It was a big one. As a pastor, I, my heart was wanting to do the right thing. I did the wrong thing. And I told them that. You know what they did? They listened. They understood. They forgave me. They loved me, and they said, let's go forward. What's the, what do we now we need to do? And I didn't leave the room feeling worse about myself. I felt bad, you know, like, oh, I'm really sorry. But they, uh, forgiveness freely released me of that mistake. And I'll still keep beating myself up, but their, their intention is like, well, let's get this right. Let's do this right. Let's move forward in the right way. And we are, and we will. And we'll, we'll be working on this in the future. We'll talk about it as a church. But I made a mistake this week, and as we're talking about fear and love, I got to be the one desperately needing it in my role and as a person as the lead pastor. And I'm super grateful for that team. I wasn't so, if you would have asked me, do you think they'll, I'm like, yeah, I think so. But it's another thing to experience it. Do you think God will forgive you? Yes, it's another thing to experience it when he does. And this one, I think most of us will get, I've been delighted. I've missed some of them for various reasons, but every time I get to be there for table of five, how great is that? People are showing they love our church because they'll sit up there and they'll open themselves up to a stupid question or a super personal question, and they share. And then the rest of us in the room, which has also been really well attended, I love that. Everyone's like, I can't wait to be there for a table of five. Most of us have participated. We only have one or two more of them, is we accept and love those people. We love them more when we hear their stories, whether they're failures or whether they're successes. It's a picture of, I'm, I'll just say it like this, is there a lot of fear? Yes, by the people sitting at the table of five. There's a bit of fear, right? It's vulnerable. But the room does not characterize by fear. The room is characterized by love. And that's the church that God calls us to be, is accepting and loving of each other. I love that table of five. It's been wonderful. I love that we're up for that and doing it. And by the way, this kind of love is a commanded love. God doesn't say, hey, think about caring for each other. It might be something you want to try. He says, absolutely do this. Why does God command things? Because it's the best thing to do. The best thing to do is to love one another fearlessly and receive God's love. So I told you there'd be a final test for us, a question that just, this question for all of us is just going to really precipitate anything that needs to come out, anything that needs to be fixed. A friend of mine is a, he's a, 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 dean of faculty at Wheaton College. And Wheaton College is a Christian college, and uh, many people would say it's kind of the Harvard of Christian colleges. Excellent, excellent college, academically, spiritually, all these things, great. So the students they get there are very high caliber. And this professor's in a class, and he decides, decides to, um, to test the students to have them write a page on this, very, this question I'm about to ask you. 
And he, they wrote their responses to this, and 90% um, got it wrong. Meaning they didn't... Now, they could have told you the right answer. He, he wasn't asking what's the correct answer. He says, what's your answer? How do you live your life? Okay? And here was the question. 90% of good, you know, healthy Christian students that know a ton of... They got this wrong. And I bet you the statistics might be the same in here. I know in my life it is quite a bit. Here's the question. Is your reflex to please God to receive his love? Or do you please God because you're already favored? So for, I'll say it a couple times. Is your reflex, so are you, are you, in, you know, kind of in your gut, do you think, I want to be good so God loves me? right? We all know the answer, but like what drives you? What's going on in your head? What's going on in your heart where you say, okay, if I do these things, if I do these things right, God will then bless me. God will love me. I will have God's favor, right? I will earn it. If we admit it, we think that a lot, that I'm going to be a certain way so that God loves me and God blesses me, or I would love it if 90% of the room in here got it right, or do we go, no, I'm going to live. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to please God because he already favors me. I'm his child. I don't have to do anything to get his love. Life's not going to be better if I act. Now, there's certainly clear wisdom. If you obey his scripture, your life will go better in terms of just how life was meant to be lived and how he designed things. There's wisdom in obeying and honoring God. But it's like, do you live in such a way to get God's blessings? Do you live in such a way to earn his love? I know in my life, and I, I will say this, unapologetically, to the degree that we get this, we experience the abundant life that Jesus talks about. Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. To the degree that we get it, like, I'm not going to earn it. I just receive it. And when you go like, oh my gosh, I'm a child of God. I get to love my brother, my sister. I get to love my neighbor. And yes, we need need to be reminded by redundant camp songs. We need to remind one another for your sake and for their sakes. One of the benefits of being a pastor is I'm encouraging, I'm coaching, I'm teaching, is I'm speaking to myself all the time. So when we encourage one another, that's kind of the point of it. It's not just to help somebody else. It helps you to remember to help them. And we got to help each other with this sense of, I mean, the songs, the songs this morning, we're just doing that. They're like, God loves you. Here's what Jesus has done. And so I want us, as we take communion this morning, I'm going to ask us to do something. Maybe you already do this. I know I do it a lot, but maybe you don't. I want us to take communion with this scripture in mind. The very first sentence, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God. Beloved. So when you take communion, the point of communion is to remember who Christ is and what he did. That's what he did. Do this in remembrance of me, right? Well, I want us to also not just do that, but do this, say, when you take communion, would you take that as a hug from God, that God's loving you? So when it says beloved, it means you are God's chosen. God would pick just you. I love you so much, regardless of what you've done. I can fix that through Christ. Let him fix it. Just you're so loved perfectly without any fear. So take communion And let it be a reminder that you are beloved, that you're chosen, that you're cherished. 
Receive communion as a hug from God. And then there's the second part, and I, and I do this frequently, um, kind of as a discipline in communion. Let us love one another. We're doing this together. And communion is not just an individual thing where you come forward and you receive the elements. It's also a corporate thing because we're doing it together. And let me encourage us to do this this morning. Beloved, let us love one another. Watch each other take communion. Watch each other. I'll sit over here, and, I'll, and I don't know, sometimes I go last or near the end, but I like to watch people receive God's hug, right? I like to watch people remember Christ. And you know what it does? It produces love in me for you. I love watching the servers serve each you. I'm like, this is the body loving each other. And so as you take communion, receive God's hug, and then also watch each other as a community being loved by God. And then you're just watching them loved by God. And that's loving one another. We're participating in that all together. Communion is a we thing, not just a me thing. It's both and. And as always, go ahead, Dave. How come? How come? That's right. Yeah, the love, we, we love that. Thank you for saying, I, I wish more people would interrupt me while I'm preaching. I just love that. It's so fun that something else comes out. The thing about the cross, what he's saying, is Jesus lived his life, and that was awesome. And he taught us so much. So, so I said, read the Gospels. You'll see love personified. But the catch is that he died for us. That's where his love was fully demonstrated by dying for us. And then his power is demonstrated because death couldn't even hold him down. He conquered death and he rose again, which also makes him God. Great reminder, as we take communion, receive that hug from God, watch each other take communion, not as spying, but just enjoying it with them. Look at that. There's so-and-so being loved by God. I love them too. And remember the cross. That's a great, that's why we have the cross. It's a picture of, of God's love for us. Great reminder. If our servers would come forward, let me pray um, as we head into communion. God, it's my desire that we all get this. As simple as it is, May we not find a way around it. There's no, around your, no way around your love for us. You allow us, though, through free will to accept you or reject you, even on a daily basis. Forgive us for our mistakes, for ignoring you, for not receiving your love. And Father, we are so grateful, even though we, I, I don't totally understand who Jesus is and, and how he did all that. But I know enough to pause and say thank you. And apart from you, we can do nothing. We have nothing. Thank you for the regular reminder to just pause and receive communion. We do remember you and who, who you are and what you did. We're grateful for the gift of rescue, redemption for atonement. My prayer is for each person in this room that they would pause and even some way anew today sense your love for them. Your spirit can do that. You can explode 
our minds and just break off the shackles of fear and bring us into an embrace with you so safe, so caring. May we do that for one another. Amen. Thank you for listening to the High Street Community Church weekly message. We hope you were encouraged to follow Jesus. For more, please subscribe to our podcast or visit us online at hscchurch.org.